Welcome to the Yang Gang Thanks. Roundtable. It is Sunday, December 27th, 2.04 p.m. Hello. How's it going, guys? This is probably the most on time we've ever awesome. started, guys. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Who do we have with us today? Larry Cohen, Jessica Canaday. Jessica, do you spell Our your name? Guest. Do you last name C A N A D A Y or just D Y? Um, yeah, it's E. It's D A Y, like Canada with a Y. Okay, right, right, right. Okay, good, good. So I got that one right. Nice. So welcome to the show, guys. Uh, ah, yeah. Thank you for having us. You were in Iowa. I think you probably met a lot. of people though by the sounds of it <laughs> i believe i met many of you in iowa i believe i was also working on two to three hours of sleep so i apologize if if some <laughs> some things are fuzzy but yes i believe i met a bunch of you in iowa uh it was yeah it was quite a quite a time you were doing incredible work out there that's for sure um, well, thank you. I, I would love uh I, I don't know much about jess but i would love to um like hear uh, what you guys do. Maybe we should start with Larry, and then we'll go to Jess. Would that be oh cool? no, Jess, Jess can go first. That's all right. Ladies first. Oh, ladies first. Jess. Oh, uh, okay. I'm on the spot. Um, well, I- <laughs> yeah, sorry, Jess. I, mean, sorry. <laughs> I should have asked her. Uh, um, all right. Well, I. Well, uh, friends Jessica. here. Yeah, or it's, it's chill. It's fine. No worries. <laughs> Uh, my name is Jessica. I'm a 33-year-old mother of four girls. Um, I have been a universal basic income advocate for about 13 years now, um, which I, you know, I was pretty excited when Andrew Yang announced. Um, I couldn't even believe it. I almost did a backflip, but I am physically unable to. So um, it was just amazing. Um, and right now, I. Um, I have been writing, um, you know, a few articles on UBI I have put out there. Um, my family of six actually experienced homelessness not too long ago. Um, and we were living in a forest in tents with our children. And I was writing all about that experience. Um, and now I'm, we're in low income housing right now. And I'm out in the middle of nowhere in a town of like 700 people, which is awesome. <laughs> And um, I just, I game, I write. Um, I'm actually writing a sci-fi novel series right now as well that is kind of tying in how our society works, um, but it with aliens and magic and crazy stuff. So it's fun. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on that right now. Um, and yeah, I'm at like 200,000 words. So I'm hoping to publish next year and start that rolling. I gotta say, probably not being distracted by a city helps concentrate. I noticed... It's not until I went to a smaller city that I have any time to do any of the like paperwork and things for me. So I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah very quiet. <laughs> uh, Larry, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Larry Cohen. Uh, I have been involved, I guess I'm 34 here in Culver City. I've been engaged with the UBI community since 2014. I believe it was when I read Scott Santon's first Medium article on the wow. idea. Uh, I right. still shocked to this day how I didn't learn about UBI in school, but maybe that's, that speaks to a lot of other things. Uh, I started to get more heavily involved in 2016, but prior to that, I had been working at Tom's Shoes. So I was interested in social entrepreneurship and how business could help change and improve people's lives. Uh, 
during my time there, when I learned about UBI, I really thought that it was more of a systemic problems that weren't being addressed. And as much as one company or a few companies could try to, to change things and improve things, it may not be what we needed at the moment. So that's when I thought, you know, I really needed to get full throttle into, into UBI and to really advocate for it. So that's when I got involved. I got as deep into the UBI community as I could to meet everybody and understand what was going on. And then uh, I got to meet Andrew just before he announced that he was running and got very excited. So I got to help him out with that volunteer on the side out here in California. And then after the LA rally, uh, which really brought a groundswell of attention, I think sort of launched the campaign to a new level. Uh, Seth and I, we decided to co-found the Humanity Forward Fund, which was the, the grassroots super PAC dedicated to UBI and advocating for Andrew during the 2020 election. So that was quite a ride, which... Uh, culminated in the effort to bring as many people into Iowa as possible to be on the ground and to educate Iowans about UBI and the fourth industrial complex and all the rest of the topics that I'm sure people were going door to door and and on the ground to to just talking to people and understanding where they were coming from and how uh, Andrew's platform and UBI could help impact and improve their lives. So truly, it was an honor to, to bring so many people together. And even though it wasn't as successful as we had hoped for, it was just probably one of the most meaningful experiences in my life. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so now I am the VP of the board of US Big, the Congress nonprofit in New York. And I advocate for UBI still under my own website, buildthefloor.org. So, um, like, I, I, I noticed your website about, like, so you're still fighting for UBI. Are you helping provide uh, finances to people who are struggling too? Or, like, what is... Um, so the work that I'm doing through the website is focused on creating UBI content, trying to figure out how to tell the stories of UBI and, and the latest data and the latest uh, points and the interesting uh, ideas that are being brought up within the community and translating that into sort of semi-entertaining but also educational videos. Uh, in terms of funding, I'm not able to focus on that at the moment. Uh, that was something that we <laughs> took a lot of work to figure out how that would work within the Super PAC itself. Um, but yeah, so that's something that hopefully in the future uh, I can help to be involved with as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I was kind of curious, like, um, sorry guys, if I'm taking over the questioning, <laughs> but like, um, like when it comes to people individually in the cities who might not have gotten stimulus checks, like, do you know how like people, uh, could help troubleshoot that issue? on maybe a large scale, because I met a lot of people who didn't get their stimulus checks and the smaller the city you go to, the less likely they got it. And I don't know how to help them. And I wasn't sure if that's something you. Unfortunately, I don't have any major experience or any particular knowledge about how that would go about. I know the, the system that's in place. And again, it just speaks to the broader challenges we're all having is that the, the different systems in place for each state or each individual to apply and get that check is, is spotty at best. And so I know it, it, there are a lot of different factors that that uh, are part of the reason why someone may or may not have gotten it or have been delayed. And so I unfortunately, I don't have any good additional information to help give people to say this might help you get it. But again, it just sort of speaks more to the fact of like just how screwed up our system is and and how all these hoops and and challenges and barriers that we've put in place to make sure that the people who do need it may not get it. And, and then on the other side, people who really don't need it may be getting it far faster or easier. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm interested, like when you did do that speech at the LA rally, how, how did you get in contact with the main Yang campaign? Because there, there's a lot of ideas that our podcast has 
and a lot of things that we want to do that we kind of want to, and, and we want to share Faye's story because she was on the brink of like a gigantic disaster. Like her car broke down. She didn't know like anyone in there. And, and we, we want to find a way to get to the like main Yang campaign. So people like know a little bit more about this and he can like blast out things like this. So how did you become a speaker at that Los Angeles rally? Like how did you get their attention? For the rally, I because I had been helping out and volunteer with the Yang campaign early on, uh, especially before mm-hmm. most people knew that he was running or who he was in general, uh, I helped host a couple of different events with Andrew. So when they were interested in doing the L.A. rally, there was also the California Yang gang, which was instrumental and far more sort of dedicated to the effort to, to put together the rally itself. I just helped plug in. And so I was just one of many people being a part of that. Uh, The reason they were looking to see if there was anyone who was interested in speaking and because Seth and I uh, were two of the people who were sort of the, just wanted some some of the organizers and they had had experience with me and I had spoken sort of with Andrew and around others with Andrew and his team. uh, They were just like, well, if there's an opportunity to speak, is that something you'd like to do? And so it sort of just got thrown together as is many of the things of the Yang campaign. (laughs) advocating for probably longer than most of us like i mean i mean nothing compared to jess i mean jess is doing laps uh but yeah i mean again about since 2014 jess uh, i would love to hear more about your adventure while being in ubi Jessica? Um, okay. Well, um, actually, I so I, I don't have a degree, um, but I have taken, oh my God, so many course, different courses in different subjects, um, you know, in higher education. And one of them was, uh, you know, economics and socioeconomics. Um, and my professor actually introduced to me um, the idea of universal basic income. Um, but of course, he had that kind of edge on it, like, like it was a bad thing. Um, and so that that's kind of what I adopted as my own feelings um, for a long time, actually. <laughs> um, you know, that oh, that's for lazy people who don't want to work, you know, um, because we all need to work, duh, you know, to fuel the system and survive. So um, it was a couple years after that that I really started to kind of like branch out and open up um, and look at it from an opposition. And uh, I actually ran across uh, Peter Joseph's films, um, yes, Zeitgeist, um, and I, it blew my tiny little human brain, like, into outer space, um, <laughs> and I just said, he's right about everything, like, I, I know he's right, um, I can see the evidence of all of this in our society, and um, I kind of ran with that, um, And my ultimate model for society actually is RBE, um, a resource-based economy. Um, I want to move away completely from market systems and money. Um, But I do feel that universal basic income is a definite necessary first step to that. Um, Yes, yes. Yeah, and because we're nowhere near uh, the technological capability to make that society a reality um, without basic income. And that's my thoughts. Um, So that's kind of my whole um, journey with UBI is I'm trying to push for UBI and then I'm going to be pushing for RBE like right after that. (laughs) You know, it's it's kind of um, interesting how you're. A professor would be against something like a UBI because professors aren't really like creating any resources. All the work the professor is even doing is in the abstract. 
it's not in like the the thing it's like what like like giving like giving tests and giving lectures which 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 like you know don't produce anything or don't it's not like working on a machine or in a factory or anything like that and a lot of people in the financialization space because our economy is so fa- financialized they're not producing anything either they're just making bets stocks uh, ETFs all these portfolios, they're just bet placing. They're just like making money with money, which is not, it, it doesn't produce anything of tangible sorts for people to use. So I just find it so hypocritical when people like professors and when people like brokers say that, oh, UBI, not work lazy. Well, you guys aren't doing work that's like producing or kind of like creating the, the factory workers are and the, 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 you know, minimum wage workers and the service industry people are, but yet here you are being hypocrites. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, yeah, I do find that, it's that, ironic. that, um, yeah, they do have biases. Um, and, but I think it is a reflection of our, of how our society works. Um, because, you know, now as it stands, we're, we're supposed to go out and work, um, and produce for the system, because if we don't, then the system's going to crumble and fall apart. Um, you know, or we're going to be ostracized if we decide to leave that system and, you know, we're going to die. And that's the fear that the system wants us to have so that we continue to go and be wage slaves and produce. Um, and, and, and our whole society is like that. Um, you know, anytime you talk to someone about basic income, who's more mainstream, you know, their pretty much initial reaction is to freak out, you know, and say, oh, no, we can't just give people money. That That's ridiculous. Um, but that, that's the whole model that our system has created. So it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Right. When I first. Then there's um, also involuntary unemployment. When I I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was uh, I was the first time that I um, heard about uh, Just Canada right, was uh, when she made this series of very well-spoken, you know, and very uh, personal, you know, posts on Twitter. It was a very long series about different different people who had contacted her and let her know about what what, uh, poverty was like without that UBI. Is that right? Um, Do you remember that? Um, Yeah, I do. Yeah, through the through these series of posts, uh, you know, so many people's experiences were validated and shared um, widely because it was it really went, I think, um, pretty, you know, it, it, it was spread wide and far. And I thought that that was amazing. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm always constantly um, trying to bring awareness to the fact that um, it's not this tiny majority of people who are struggling, you know, because they're lazy or because, you know, whatever, um, to any fault of their own. Um, I'm always trying to bring awareness that it, it's no human's fault where they are. It's always a system's fault. Um, it always stems from that downward pressure on us. And um, and that's, you know, another reason why, because um, I before I actually had um, an account that was anonymous um, and I was pretty trolly on it, to be honest. Um, (laughs) But after Yang and everything, um, I I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be open, honest about like my life experiences. I'm going to put my real name on here and I'm just going to run with it and see where it goes. And I actually, I I thought it went great. Um, And I know I got to reach a lot of people and make a lot of friends. And I'm just so grateful that we came together as such a large community of people who are suffering and who are okay to talk about right. it, which is fucking well, well, now here's, here's the ironic thing. 
if you're working in an industry that is not uh, has to do with basic necessities for life, such as like it's not selling like uh, groceries or uh, food. Now, like if if you're working in like entertainment or electronics and you enjoy that line of work and you want to work in times of recession, uh, you're most likely to get fired or not keep your job. What does a UBI do? It gives people more than not just to think about the basics. So if you really are interested in working in an industry or, or a thing that doesn't have to do with just basic necessities for people, the, the, that industry is more likely to lay you off even if you want to work if no one's buying anything. So that's the thing that people don't understand. And it's like, are we just here for the basics? For me, that's that's a pretty kind of like boring life, you know, and people don't understand that people want more than the basics because it's part of like self-actualization. It's part of creativity. It's part of exploring. And we have so many ignorant people that are not aware of this. It's like I didn't get all of my education just so I can uh, like just afford the bare necessities and just be okay with my life. You know, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I do actually, I do actually want to touch on that um, because that's a really interesting um, concept that I haven't been exploring lately. Um, and I did start an article about this. I have not finished, but um, like the bare minimum, um, there are very few things that humans actually need. Um, and I'm, I'm a really avid hater of advertising, um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, because it, it fuels that consumption for things that we absolutely do not need that further destroy our environment, our planet. Um, and, you know, it does cause that competition between us, you know, ourselves and other humans to, oh, I have this, you know, I got the newest Xbox this year. I got this. Um, and that's also a model that comes from everyone at the top with all the money who they want us to consume. They want it to push us to consume. Um, and so I feel like your, your thoughts on that are dead on with uh, so many people in our society. Um, and, and my, like I said, my ultimate goal is RBE. So I actually try and pull away from that and say, Hey, you guys, you don't, you don't need the newest Xbox. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you can, you'll, you'll yeah. be fine, you know, with, with what, you know, with I, the bare minimum. I, 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 know, I know what you're talking I mean, about. Have you, have you seen the PS5? I mean, it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so here, you know, here's the interesting thing. When, when I was getting the extended unemployment boost, uh, I went splurging like once or twice and I'm like, Oh, this is great. But then like on the fourth time I went splurging, I'm like, you know what? I'm bored. <laughs> like, like, like it was like, what, what? And then, and then I felt something else. I felt like, I don't want to go splurging anymore. I want to like create something cool. Like I want to, I want to like put something into the world, like a legacy or like an idea or like, what else can I do with my life? That's like that, that'll, that'll just like improve to the human condition after like the fourth day of splurging. And that's why you see people like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Elon Musk. They're not just going on shopping sprees with all the money they have. They have enough money if they wanted to, to like buy the whole entire goddamn grocery store and every piece of food in it. And why do they not do that? Why do they not do that? Because that doesn't align with any kind of purpose or like thing that they have. It's like, believe me, after the 500th time, 
splurging and consumerism kind of gets boring and it's like you want to do and this is something that these ignorant people against ubi don't really like get in your brain when you purchase something you get a chemical fix like "Mm, yay i got something new that's gonna make me excited and then guess what that goes away right um and and then you're just like left with something that uh, you might not even use anymore, right? Or it doesn't have continual, like, uh, chemical releases, so you get bored with it and maybe you donate it or something, right? And then you just add value to this uh, person, right? And then somebody else buys it at a lower amount, which, you know, maybe now they can afford it because you did the initial cost, right? But, like, there's a problem still with that. At least we're trying to recycle the stuff. But, um, like... uh, You guys don't know my story, so I'm going to tell you my story a little bit. I've been fully nomadic traveling the United States for two years. And uh, during this time, I've had my truck, right? My truck is my home. Um, But I try to stay uh, with family and friends, sometimes strangers. I've even slept outside and in a tent. You know, I I wanted to feel uh, and see from as many perspectives how people are living right now. You know, um, and I did a lot of that uh, during, um, like, before Yang, right? So uh, <laughs> before the Yang gang, I was traveling as a single woman, right? Um, and uh, that was really hard. I ended up in a woman's shelter, right? And then I met the Yang gang, and I ended up getting three installments of the Freedom Dividend. But I also got flown out to Iowa to help, right? And so then I started meeting the Yang gang. And I started having these connections. And actually, I felt like um, trying to do uh, this nomadic lifestyle was 10 times easier because I met the Yang Gang, right? I have found hosting. I mean, I've stayed with uh, Faye here for a month, right? Uh, And so, like, uh, that was awesome. And after um, I was done uh, staying at Faye's house... um, I'm just going to let me jump in for a second. Uh, You might uh, people listening to this might believe that, you know, uh, I was helping Faye out, but actually it's the other way around. So Faye was here helping me out with my personal projects and that's what she does. And so that's how I know her is somebody who is uh, true to her word, shows up when she asks uh, when she's, you know, when she's uh, when she says she will be there. And, uh, you know, her projects may be a little long term because she's got so many going on, but. You know, things happen because she makes sure it does. Something, Faye. I learned how to do an image to text finally. I finally learned it. It was like this week. So, like, by the way, (laughs) I'm trying to help her translate some letters that I took photos of. And so, like, that's a side project I'm working on, right? But I have time. Um, But uh, so I wanted to help on the Senate runoff, right? And so I did not have a lot of money because... I, I live as close to broke as I can. I, I, I tend to trade, barter, Skillshare, um, pretty much try to live as minimally off money as possible because I think it's important. And, you know, it wasn't until I read the book, The War on Normal People, that I was like, oh, I should probably learn how to not live off of money because the society sounds like it's about to collapse. And the pandemic happens, confirmed all my beliefs. <laughs> so I was like, well, good thing I learned how to live without it. Um, but I decided to go to the Senate runoff. And I was in Texas and I started driving and my truck broke down in Alabama. I had zero money, nothing. I didn't even have gas money to make it the rest of the way, guys. Like I was, I have a gas can in my truck and I was going to ask people for gas. Well, when your truck doesn't want to move, that's a problem. And it's so cold. I was shivering awake. I ended up sleeping in my truck. Right. And, you know, I had some terrible anxiety and panic attacks. Right. 
And I broke down in the smallest town of Alabama. It's called Fort Deposit, right? They have like 1,200 people here. And it is a dead city, a dead town, right? And um, the foundation is falling apart. The buildings are falling apart. The businesses are falling apart. The people don't have much drinking water. Uh, you know, rural areas, they don't have Wi-Fi. So when they shut down the schools, guess what? Like, how did the kids go to school? They were able to get laptops, I guess. But if you don't have Wi-Fi, you can't do the work anyway. Um, and, uh, like, this local kept telling me that, like, helped drive me around and get me uh, to get my truck in the shop. Uh, they told me about all the pains of their town, right? But I also had to learn Alabama, like slang talk. I don't I don't know what you call it, accent? Alabama accent, <laughs> man. So like even well, I had a language on. barrier. I want to uh, just interrupt you one more time because uh, this is why I interrupted the last time. It's because when you hear about all the troubles that she's going through and that she's chosen to live this lifestyle despite all of the troubles that can, you know, all of these risks that that can happen. So I feel like a lot of people feel about people living in poverty or people who are um, uh, nomadic that. Oh, they're just like a whirlwind of some kind of trouble, right? And you might want to just avoid that if you have already having so many issues in your life, right? But um, but the thing is, Faye always is uh, social minded and everywhere she goes, she's going to bring something positive to that um, to that place. At least that's her will. That's what she wants to do. And so if you watch what uh, what's going to happen in the next few months and what has already happened is that she's uh, really thinking about what's what she can do while she's there. And all of us are here to support her. So, yeah, I, I can definitely vouch for that. Um, she was when when she was here in L.A., uh, like the Yang, the Yang gang has like events. And sometimes like you don't want to go alone to these events. And uh, parking is also a bitch. So when we when we um, when I, when I did it, when we went together it was like, hey, she could do something with with her ability to transport, and I could do something with my ability to fly my drone. So while she was while she was finding parking, she dropped me off, and like I flew the drone like all over the place and taking pictures. It's like we've forgotten this just value of people, like beyond money. That's just like relationship and friendship and happiness and exploration and all of that stuff. And nobody. Oh has to force us so, we have yeah. a question from the youtube uh Ow. audience what okay. would be our thoughts on uh let's see did he specify what type of campaign uh a campaign centered a campaign apparatus centered around governing the day you announce by having every single constituent get a an Alexa or Google Home mini computer and an app that provides direct solutions and resources for solving the day-to-day problems of New Yorkers. Oh, I guess this is a mayoral thing. I don't think that that an app is going to solve the day-to-day problems of New Yorkers. I've lived in New York uh, when I could afford to many, many years ago before I was priced out and I became underclass. Uh, but um, I don't think the problems New Yorkers face then or now are going to be really aided much by an app. People have computers and phones. They can get the information they need. Uh, I don't see how, uh, yeah, how putting a mini computer with an app at the center of a campaign is a good idea in any way. I don't see the benefit. Um, how, do you guys see any yeah. any positive take? I don't understand. And maybe I don't understand the question. If you want to clarify it or something, anyway. Thank I you for the question. 
to speak to this just briefly. Um, if you have education, you can solve most of your problems, right? If you have education, you can, you know, do the do-it-yourself kind of thing. You could investigate the source of the problem and find solutions to the source of the problem. I think maybe that's what they're trying to get at. And I think there's also, you know, some people who are really, like, maybe uh, resistant to things like... Um, uh, writing or reading because of um, it's just harder uh, for them because maybe their mental capacity, right? So being able to speech to um, text or to just say it to your Google Home, um, that would allow uh, just easy access. And it's just like having a conversation with another person that's uh, engaging and enriching to solve these problems. I think like that's a benefit. And I think Google Homes and Alexas and all that stuff would actually be quite beneficial, especially to find alignment with truth a little quicker. Um, you know, if a little kid is asking about X, Y, or Z, you know, and you're like, well, I don't know. Instead of getting a bullshit answer, you're going to get like actual data. And it's just as simply as like, you know, voicing it. So even children can learn quicker. Right. But Kai, you had a, a thing you wanted to say. Do you remember you were trying to? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the audience participating with us, but I think it's really derailing the conversation sometimes if we're uh, headed in one direction and the comments are just completely unrelated. So we might want to just, uh, if you guys are actually listening carefully and, and following along and, and uh, you know, that's a different kind of participation that we, we really welcome. But uh, maybe we won't share the ones that are just really completely a whole different, you know, topic. Thank you very much. Yeah. Go ahead, Kai. Oh. So in thinking about, well, and it, it almost can kind of tie in this idea of, of this connected app question, but like what we, I think, have found as the Yang Gang is the innate interconnectedness that we all have with each other to make it through the hard times. So Mia, with what you do in your life, you couldn't do that if you weren't able to trust and rely on other people to do what they say that they're going to do. And um, as I've talked kind of off broadcast, but my religious perspective is uh, history is Quaker. Um, and there's a lot of confusion about who the Quakers are and who they aren't. And, and it, it's, it's a hard thing to answer without answering with, um, a phrase that all Quakers know, um, which is that we look for that of God in everyone. And some Quakers extend that even further to everything under creation, that we look for the creator in, in all of this. And we strive to live simple lives. Many of us, not all of us, I mean, there's a lot of Quakers that even historically, were very well off. Um, they were um, considered to be very successful businessmen because they were so honest in their dealings, and they produced such high quality work. And we, as a like, and this is a kind of culture that not just because of my religious beliefs, but also because right that I want to go back to when we had a society that operated that way where somebody could earn a reputation for themselves for being a good artisan at the thing that they love to do, the thing that is God speaking through them, to use a Quaker phrase, and, and, then, and then have that be part of this you know, very convoluted 
society that we live in. Um, that everybody has things to contribute. This is kind of a fundamental teaching that I brought out of my, my social work program, uh, my master's degree, that it's about strength and that everybody is great at certain things. And we have a tendency to kind of use this model of focusing on all the stuff that we're not great at and being very punitive about the things you don't know. Right. You cut out. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone so, thinks they're right. So we're right back to the, the problem with consumerism, which is where we started with um, where J- Jessica and uh, Ariel were, were going with that. And I think that one of the things I would like to do is to take a pause right now to talk about um, something that is happening right now within Yang Gang. So we have a small group of people who are doing uh, Yang Gang um, Fasting for Humanity. They're using the hashtag Fasting for Humanity, which has been used before by many other people. So it's not, they're not alone in using this hashtag. And um, what they're asking for is a bigger stimulus check, right? $600 is not good. Well, okay. Here's what I want to go to. Look, Trump wanted the bigger check. Here's where we can get along. Here's where, you know, MAGA camp and Yang Gang camp and all of us can get along. Now here, this is, this is hilarious. I saw this meme and it said, Trump was like, I'm asking for $2,000. And then the Democrats were like, okay. And then the Republicans were like, I will initiate self-destruct. <laughs> yeah. This what in politics. It's just, just, yeah, it seems like they're just playing games. Like, uh, you know, how long can I hold the, how long can I hold the bill without signing it? How long can so I, so bad. And, and so this, many, is, this, so is, this is amazing to me. So, so look, next time you see a Trump supporter, don't go into like instant attack mode, like a non-player character, like an NPC. It, just tell them, okay, Trump wanted the 2000. Then why do the Republicans say no? He stabbed your guy in the back. Like, no, I mean, am I wrong? <laughs> like, what do you guys think? You are not wrong. You are not wrong. That's exactly, that's kind of how people are talking about it. It's, we're being betrayed by the people. Wait a minute, what's happening? Like, people don't understand. Like, they're watching the Democrats betray them. And they're seeing the lunatic in the White House who's terrorized our nation for the last four freaking five years, if you count all the lead up to his presidency. That is his first good idea of, you know, raising the check. And all along, I'm like, vote for Trump. Does he want to institute a UBI? Is he going to do it? Is he going to be Nixon? I don't care. Make it happen. Make it happen, folks. Like, this is See, where I, I feel the pressure of the time. Yeah, it's all about the, the games, you know, like the maneuvers. Uh, how many votes can we get on this side? What can we get out of it politically? What advantages, you know? But uh, for us, it's just about human beings. And so this Fasting for yeah. Humanity group is on their 16th or 17th day, I can't even keep track at this point, of a fast, which spanned Christmas. Which means for Christmas Day, when everybody else was having their starting their twelve days of Christmas, they were already on their thirteenth or fourteenth day of of uh, fasting. And, and the know, fasting relates to that consumerism problem because you can fast in different ways. You don't have to fast like I'm going to starve myself unto death, right? First of all, we're trying to do this in a way that is healthy 
We want to continue on. We don't want to encourage people to hurt themselves in order to get this. We don't want to even do violence onto ourselves, right? So there's that going on. And then there's also the, you know, if you don't want to fast with food, you could take a fast from consumerism, which is something that we hope that some of their members will come on and talk to us about next week. So look forward to that. Um, in other news that's going on, uh, some before, really sad news. In, sorry, before we jump in, I just yeah, wanted yeah, to go ahead. Faye, because you've been in a small town, um, I don't know how close you've been able to get to know anyone in town or speak to anybody, but I'm curious if you've heard from, because again, I'm I'm stuck in Culver City, like I haven't gone out much. I'm curious to see if you've been able to talk with anybody about the ongoing things, seeing from on the ground how people might be seeing the national conversation, if it's how it might impact their lives, how they're thinking about it, or if it's, again, sometimes what's going on in Washington is just so removed from people's day to day. They just find out about what has or hasn't happened. And they're just like, okay, I just have to survive tomorrow. Like I'm not really going to concern myself with it. So I'm just curious about your interactions with people, especially with your knowledge and your understanding and then sort of where other people are coming from. Faye's here. Are you talking to me or the other? Yes. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Faye Faye calling in from Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, so yeah, let's talk about my time here in Alabama. Okay. So my truck broke down in Fort Deposit and I started recording all the, uh, things I've had been seeing. I started interviewing locals and I started asking them like what they needed. And I also talked to them about universal basic income and none of them really, really talked about it. Right. They, they didn't know much about it. And then, you know, uh, because there's, Greenville, which is kind of like a medium size, there's Fort Deposit, and then there's Montgomery, which is way bigger, right? And Fort Deposit is small. Um, and uh, like I, I talked to the locals there, and they're like, wow, that'd be really great. I would love that, right? Um, you know, because I'm hearing about like people stealing from each other. I might have even eavesdropped somebody like, maybe there's some murders happening, right? But in Montgomery, that's happening, right? So like things are getting scarier here, right? But people are still trying to look out for each other as well. And um, as I talk about these things, I'm just like, okay, this town needs to be revived. And actually, what I'm trying to do with the Yang Gang Roundtable podcast and other teams that I'm part of, right, I'm not just singly uh, here, uh, I'm going to start a universal basic income pilot here. You know, 1,200 people is not too many people. So I'm actually starting a nonprofit with somebody who's already built businesses up like giant, right? And uh, like that way we can start getting grants and that way we can start getting money into the hands of the people, right? Um, I'm just going to say, screw the government. I'm going to do it myself. I don't fucking care anymore. It has to happen. This town is dying. But the other thing about the nonprofit is it needs to have like uh, there's like these four pillars, right? They need clean water. Okay. One person said they have white foam coming out of it and it nearly killed them is what the quote, you know? Um, and then uh, like, but I went and talked to the mayor of the town trying to get them on board with mayors for UBI. Right. Well, she kept kind of dodging me a little bit. Right. But I talked to her. And the assistant and the officers that were in the office when I was talking about it uh, seemed like, wow, this is a really great idea. Okay, cool. Right. (laughs) So um, and, uh, you know, but that's not enough. Right. Uh, We need to. uh, But the people there were like, well, my water is fine. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do some samples. Right. I'm going to just do it myself. I don't need to get paid to do this work. Right. 
But also we had someone on uh, who was part of the Love Fridge Project in uh, Chicago where they got a fridge and it's a take what you need, leave what you can kind of thing. And if I get that near the highway where people actually come to this little tiny town, they might be able to drop off some food, maybe fresh food because they don't have a grocery store here. They don't have restaurants here, right? They don't get fresh food unless they have a vehicle to go to the next town over. Well, guess what? There's like three or four graveyards of tons of cars here. These people don't even have the money to fix their cars, right? And the roads are pretty shitty, so it's probably ruining the quality of the car anyway, right? But like overall, I would say people are receptive, but the problem is I have to work with locals in order to make any of this happen. Well, the one local that I worked with in Fort Deposit, unfortunately, made me very uncomfortable, but also they might have some of the more connections I need. So I have to bypass like figuring out things like that, right? Um, but I can work with churches and I can just do the work, right? Um, I hate when people tell me what I can and cannot do. Don't tell me I can't get a UBI pilot in this town, okay? If I, do, if I can't go through Yang, I'm going to still freaking figure it out, right? I don't need anybody except for what I believe in myself. But as I've been traveling, I've also been doing a lot of investigative research, right? So I actually have lists of things that are inevitable human needs that people uh, crave, right? When I was in the women's shelter, I talked to the women there. I'm like, hey, what do you guys actually need, right? And guess what? I got tons of lists of that, right? Well, Faye, then, what was the city in the women's shelter? Swan? I was in San Diego, California. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, I got to see what homelessness was for big cities, for small cities. I've met people staying out of their cars in tiny towns, right? Like, I've met drug-addicted people you know, who are using it as a coping mechanism, right? And I'm, I'm sitting with people who are depressed, right? And I just sit with them because I have nothing better to do, right? I'm like, how are you doing? And I have real conversations with these people. Most of them say, I don't have money for therapy, right? Well, guess what? I know enough about psychology. I figured out my own psychology enough to get away from scarcity mindset while traveling in the U.S. broke. Okay. Like, and I trust in my ability to manifest. And so it, when I'm in a struggle, when my truck broke down, people from all over the world donated to me. The world, guys. That's not something small. Okay. That's the Yang Gang mostly coming together and supporting me. Right. They helped me get my truck fixed. They helped house me in a hotel. Eventually, I found a different local to stay with. And now I'm coming here with them. Right. Where I'm at now. Because um, like the hotel, like four days is like two hundred dollars. It's a lot of money. I can't keep that up. Right. And it was other people's money. Um, so uh, and food. I had no food when I broke down, too. Like, I was literally like, oh, crap, what do I do? And so I had gas station food for a little bit. Right. But um, so like dealing with all that and then the stress of being like just my home broke down, right? <laughs> you know, um, that is a testament to me how we can work together, right? I'm also just a big social butterfly. But the thing is, I want to learn what other people are doing and just use those solutions to actually make change. And if nobody else is going to do it, at least I can believe in my ability to do it. Right. Um, and I believe in my teams that I'm working with. And when I don't know how to do something, guess what? I got an advisor for everything. And I don't think enough people think about the resources within people. Um, now that I'm in Greenville, which is the medium sized town, right? I'm like, Hey, do you have a fridge like to the neighbor? I'm like, do you have a fridge or anyone you know who has a fridge? They're like, Oh yeah. I might, okay? And I just keep asking until I get a fridge, right? That person might not follow through. But if I keep asking, 
statistically, inevitably, it should happen, right? You know, and then I don't mind going to businesses in the small town and be like, hey, can we put a fridge here? You know, I don't mind going to the churches and talking to them about getting food boxes from a bigger city. Why don't we get fresh food here? Let's get away from food scarcity. That way you guys can have like, you know, something to eat. They used to have a grocery store and the meat would go bad. And then they bleached it and tried to sell it and people got sick. And so it shut down the grocery store, guys. We This is scarcity mindset at its worst. Well, we have... <laughs> We have um, we have uh, a special situation where Faye has recognized that the fact of being nomadic allows her to do things that people other people can't do, and so she's using her skills and her specific uh, unique uh, characteristics to do uh, something that other people cannot. I mean, how many people can? lift themselves out of their life and just move to somewhere else to help out whenever, whenever the occasion arises. Yeah. So Um, uh, I I also mm -hmm. think that one of the things is that like, I was talking with this with Kaizen, it's like the death of just the public square and everything is commerce. Everything is like transactional. It's either like a big box store or it's a thing, but and you 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 go to these like small cities in in other places, and they, like like most of them have a place where people can just kind of get together and just kind of talk. Maybe it's like a park, or I don't know somewhere where like a statue is or something like that. And that's kind of died here in the United States. I don't know if you've all noticed this, but like I it it's it, it's the public square is moving online kind of like here this is like a public square but like we're actually like physical spaces where people kind of just used to go to and just talk about ideas and not have to buy something like anybody want to speak to that you know There's so much that's that's changing in the world, especially with coronavirus. It's hard to tease out what part of modernity is causing that phenomenon. But uh, the reason I'm I'm trying to get to uh, I wanted to get to some of the recent events uh, because they are super sad for me, and I need to process those emotions before we can like finish our conversation on a good note. I don't want to end with that. So I'd like to just uh, let everybody know right now that we've uh, lost somebody very important to us in the Yang Gang. His name is uh, Juanito as we know him and he of course has another given name and um, we we um, many of us here at the podcast have had uh, some relationship with him through the Yang Gang and uh, if anybody would like to just you know say a couple of words right now um, maybe we could take a moment to just remember him and know that he will not be forgotten want to touch on this i was in iowa standing next to him when he ended up getting uh donated a thousand dollars for the freedom dividend and that man was so happy and he cried and just there was celebration right but this man had been canceled out by a lot of people um you know and i actually sat down and talked with him right i you know whatever like if you're gonna get canceled i've been canceled like four or five times i mean like i'm over it right like I have also been canceled. Anybody else here? Uh, By our own group, by Yang Gang as well, not just, you know, random people. Yeah, within our own group. Uh, I don't even know. Maybe, I may not be. (laughs) Well, I was kicked out of Houston Yang Gang at some point for talking to Dr. Quintus Jett. That was it. That was my entire wrong doing. So I find that really awful. But go ahead. 
I got canceled off of Facebook because I mentioned the name Derek Jensen, and he's known as huh? I'm like I'm like huh? And it, was, and and it was over. Like it was just over. And I was like, what just happened? Uh, what canceling does to people okay. okay it sends you to a deep spiral it cuts you off i mean back in the day when we had you know no internet and stuff and our small little communities if you were canceled you would die okay and you know the reason he passed was a coping mechanism guys and that's not okay right and he was a veteran right and so he had additional traumas and I mean, when I talked to him, it sounded like he had a lot of mental health issues, right? And instead of helping him through these things, people just shamed him and guilted him and just put him in a place that made him have to turn to coping mechanisms. You know, UBI is great, but it's not going to meet that emotional need we need by connecting with people. And if, if somebody is canceled, guess what? I'm probably reaching out to them. If you're called a scammer, let's talk, right? Like what, uh, that's not him, but like other people, right? And, and like, yeah, these people need the emotional support when somebody else goes on a crusade against them. And so like, I think it's sad that he is passed and like, you know, regardless of whatever, none of us are making it out of this world without doing something wrong, guys. Like, should we be criticized for something we did 10 years ago, one year ago, one day ago? We evolve, we grow, we change, we learn. learn That's not going to happen if you keep shitting on them. I'm sorry. So my my thoughts go out to him, his family, his friends. You know, there's my piece on that. His son. I, I, I think it's like a travesty that, like, we don't learn uh, social and emotional learning in our, like, schooling system. And it's all just about, like, status and, like job title when life is so much more than just a stupid title and and it's it's amazing how i see this it's like you you can have like the worst argument with your you know with like your family members when you're at home but then when a guest arrives to the house it's like everything's fine hi how are you (laughs) like people just like shift like that like no 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 one is open and and just this culture of like saving face because we don't want to talk about like what's really going on because of like this face that we want to put out there into the world. And the internet has just like exponentially made this worse. Uh, I think it's pretty sad like that, that we don't, well, why it's really sad is because we don't learn how to process emotions from like our educators because they don't know how to either. When you when you see like a, a a teacher coming in who's in a bad mood or who shouts at their students or who like doesn't know how to regulate themselves and then they spread that within the classroom, which is what I saw all the time when I was going to middle school, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Because it's become so much about job title and doing your job and getting the job done and your resume. Like the human side has just been like shunned and ignored and gotta stop like hey, maybe i'm a, a little bit odd in the sense that uh i look at cancel culture as something i've identified as the piranha economy and as wealth inequality increases the amount of available resources for people reduces and reduces and a certain meanness sets in and since we're not choosing to 
deal with the the fact that our billionaire class is been throwing its weight around to continue the wealth inequality, well, then people tend to turn on each other. Well, and well, so when yeah, it, let me finish. It's just you know, cannibalism. Right. And so the more we have that inevitable, you know, the the pool of water is shrinking and all the piranha are stuck with each other kind of situation, we're going to see more of that happening. And so people feel viscerally threatened if someone comes into the space and says something um, and they feel a sense of competition with and that sort of extreme, extremophile competition uh, has put us more and more into that mindset. And I want to go back to something like uh, to talk about the fact that we're for the universal basic income. We are not for one, two thousand dollars one time, although, oh, my God, that's a lifeline for people. I feel like for myself, I want to talk about the monthly aspect forever, not the monthly aspect for the pandemic or monthly aspect you know, or one-time checks or any of that. This is the worst tennis match we've ever watched in our lives to see the politics of this. I'm kind of glad it's happening because people are now seeing how the sausage gets made in a sense. But I know for myself, I'm going right back to basics of the universal basic income because we're seeing not the results of why when we don't have one, what does the world look like? And people are, you know, really, I, we're going to see stuff, you know, I'm kind of like a history nerd, you know, we're going to see stuff in the next month and two months and three months with the, with the just amount of evictions coming that hasn't been seen in things like the Irish potato famine and being last name, Patrick, I kind of aware of that, uh, what's, was not seen in the depression. I think we're almost in a worse shape of the depression because at least people could help each other because they had some farmland or, you know, there was some, it was awful. It was awful. I, I, I talked a lot with my grandmother who went through it as a child, but we're not prepared to see. And if, if you want to say America's not like that, Oh, America's like that. We've allowed these people to put us in that situation and we're ignoring the elephant eating everything in the room and that's wealth inequality. So for me, for my New Year's resolution 2021, it's universal basic income, universal basic income, and no sidetracking except to point out that's not that. And the fact that both parties have a corporatist mindset and that's not that, whatever they're going to do is just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic as far as I'm concerned. And when we see a result of that we don't have it, we need to point it out, and that's because... We don't have a floor to poverty, which, by the way, I like the name, Larry, <laughs> that you have that. Build that floor. I like that. Yeah. So, um, Jessica, I was wondering if you wanted to speak to um, what happened to Juanita at all. Oh, my God. Um, I was actually dreading anyone calling me out about it. Um, I all actually, right. I'm sorry. I mean, um, if, you, if you don't want to address it right now, it's totally understandable. Um, no, I can. Um, I had a rough night. Uh, and I, and I were really good friends. Um, you know, when I was homeless with my family, um, you know, he and I, um, we were, you know, all over each other's Twitter posts, you know, a lot, we were doing giveaways, we were doing stuff together. Um, you know, he used to tell me we were the pineapple king and queen, um, on Twitter. (laughs) Um, correct. Yes. Um, And, you know, I I had his bank account information. Um, I was, I was making travel arrangements for him um, because he would be 
just too messed up to do it himself sometimes. Um, and he needed that person to be there for him. And, um, and I think too, I kind of had like these grandiose ideas about, um, that like, well, he's, he's tried to get help. Um, and no one's been able to help him, but I can do it. You know, I, I'm going to be the one that's going to save him. Um, and, you know, when my family and I were homeless, we actually went to um, Colorado with him. Um, I made travel arrangements for him to get there with us. And we went um, to another Yang gang member's house and we all stayed together. Um, we were there, I think it was like 10 or 12 days that we were all together. Um, and <sighs> I have a lot of regrets. Um, I, I think it's one thing to like to see people online and say, yeah, they're, they're messed up, you know, and to counsel them through things. Um, it's quite a different thing when you enter into that very personal space with them and you see all of these absolutely destructive habits, you know, come out and that they're exhibiting and you yourself are not qualified to deal with those things and you don't know how to handle it. Um, and just based on, you know, I, I have four daughters. Um, they, they were there with us. My children were there. Um, and I made the very difficult decision to leave him there um, based on everything that was going on for the safety of my children. Um, and he never forgave me for that. Um, and I did. I tried really hard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Jess. Yeah, I, I understand that this is a very emotional time for you and for um, anyone who uh, knew about him and or knew him as a person. Yeah. So, but thank you for sharing. And if you uh, let me know when you're, you know, you just want to, you know, continue. So. Yeah, no, I'm fine. Um, I do want to say this because I, I think it's important. Um, and a lot of us tried after that, um, after I spent that time with him and I, I came back and I, I reached out to several people within the campaign, um, with, you know, within the Women for Yang group. Um, we were all trying to help him. And my, you know, just my being public about everything that him went on, um, he, he, of course, took it very personally um, and took it as an attack. And, and then I became, you know, this focal point of his rage. And 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 it went on, you know, for eight months. Um, and at that point, you know, I told him, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, fuck off. Never talk to me again. Um, and I don't think that I will ever forgive myself for giving up. Um I also think that it, it really touches on the fact that it, it doesn't matter what, you know, what people do. I personally, I, I don't believe in free will. Um, I, I don't believe people have a choice over the choices that they make. Um, and, and just believing in that um, and knowing how the system affects all of us. Um, I, I've been telling people who have been reaching out to me, um, it, it doesn't matter what he did. <laughs> it doesn't matter how fucked up he was um, because we are all fucked up in some way. We are all hurting. We are all the same. And we just need to hold on to the fact that our true enemy is and will always be the market system and the way that you know our societies run now. Um, and the one thing that we can do to help him, um, help others like him is fight as hard as we can to dismantle this system that is destroying humanity. Yeah. Thank you very much. Because, uh, I think, uh, it, it was healing for me today to, to see Andrew, um, you know, make a post about Juanito and recognize him because I think that was something yeah. that Juanito felt it was like, you know, when people were uh, start out hopeless already, and then they find the hope, which is what a lot of people did uh, when Yang Yang came along. 
his his slogan was it's okay to not be okay on twitter so everybody who's seen his twitter account has seen his slogan uh it's okay to not be okay because he knew that he was not okay and a lot of us know that we're not okay but it's uh you hide you know like you used to use a fake account, you know, or, or, you know, where you didn't really reveal much about yourself um, because we feel either ashamed or we know that other people are coming after us or going to attack us for not being all right. Uh, there's this sort of sense of positivity that everybody always has to keep uh, in, especially in American culture. So, um, and I've seen uh, Larry, you have, you have a similar slogan, something like it's okay for, for us to make sure that everybody is okay. That's what the UBI is about for you when you say build the floor. Is that right? Yeah, I, I view it as we recognize there is there should be a floor, right? Build the floor, that there is a starting point for everybody. And we need to really build the floor. We need to create that foundation for everybody to be able to depend on, to be able to, and, and people think depend on is a negative word, but in this case, it's that sense of security. It's that sense of stability. It's that sense of being able to build from that foundation. Otherwise, everything right. can just fall apart and crumble right. in a moment's and, notice. And if you don't have that foundation, you, you really just have quicksand. Right. Because if you're there's zero the mercy of in, you're at the mercy of your happenstance or who you were born to or what family you were born into, or if you were yeah. able to have a, make a mistake and be okay with uh, the repercussions, if you made a mistake that the the system sort of destroyed you because of it. Um, right. And, yeah. So it's it's a lot. It it all sort of ties back together in how we structure and, a society. And that's not a true meritocracy. When people are starting from different starting points, it's 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 not a level playing field. Uh, uh, we got a question for you, Larry, from T4Y Podcast. Uh, as a fellow UBI advocate, do you see Andrew running for NYC mayor as a setback for the UBI movement? Or I uh, think it's a good idea. I think, well, I don't know Andrew's thinking, but I personally think that an opportunity to bring about the kinds of ideas that Andrew has been talking about on a decently large scale in one of the world's biggest cities uh, and to have that kind of thinking amplified and that kind of the way he speaks and the way he tries to bring together different groups and the way he communicates, which is very different than most other politicians, to have a platform to introduce these concepts on a pretty big scale, I think is really important. I think there's a real opportunity for the rest of the world to see what could be done in an administration with a, with a quote-unquote politician who's not a typical politician, who comes about it from a very different lens than what people are used to. Now, I also know that should Andrew be fortunate enough to win the mayor's election, he will not sustain the level of popularity he has right now, because that's just what happens when you get elected. You, to, you just don't have that kind of super high rating. And if anything, I've seen mayor after mayor of New York, like it's just really tough to be able to have that kind of support all the time. But what I do think it opens the door for is for opportunities to implement some of these ideas that he's been thinking about and and try to tackle things in a way that people would be surprised about, but would be interested in seeing firsthand. I think New York is such a big city. It can provide a template for inspiring other cities to try things differently. And also, I think Andrew will use New York 
uh, as an opportunity to try things that have worked in other places, but haven't maybe been brought to the States or maybe not been introduced into big cities. So I think the level of experimentation and the level of humanity, for lack of a better word, that I think he can bring to New York, especially at a time like this, I think is incredibly important. And I think it would be really valuable for the rest of the world and for the U.S. to see what would happen. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, I just wanted to chime in on something uh, that was said prior to that question. If I didn't have the network and support that I had when I broke down into this tiny little town, what would have happened to me, right? You know, I, I, I hate to think what that would have been like, right? I mean, I probably would have shivered in my truck. I might have been able to sell some of my stuff that I had on me, all of my belongings. And minimize even more, right? But I would have to wait for people. And, you know, if, if, you, if you're not a pretty white girl, you know, broken down on the side of the road, right? Um, maybe, maybe you're Juanito, you know, are you going to get the help you need? I mean, you're going to have to be resourceful. You still need to get out of that situation, right? But that's what a lot of Americans are facing right now. A lot of people are being put into their vehicles. And then you add on top of that, like places like Walmart are not allowing you to stay in their parking lot anymore, right? You have bathrooms closing off to you because of the pandemic, right? You still got to go, right? And uh, so you're just going to go outside behind the building. I've seen it, right? I might have even done it a couple times because I had to go, right? And that's not going to help, you know, sanitation issues, right? You know, you go to a major city, it smells bad. Why do you think that is? Because they closed off the bathrooms. We're not even taking care of people's inevitable human needs. We don't have resources structured to make sure that even if you are a nomad like me, you can get out. There was no homeless services here, right? And like I broke down on a Saturday, which meant the next day was a Sunday, which meant everything was shut down in this small town, right? And 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 I know nobody, right? So we we do not realize how close, like I'm a worst case scenario if somebody dies as well, you know, look at the work I'm doing that would end because of poverty, right? You know, but Juanito is also the worst case scenario too, right? Because, you know, his poverty led to coping mechanism, led to bad decisions. And when you're traumatized, especially from war or from uh, being canceled, or from childhood. Maybe you were sexually abused. I don't know, right? Um, or, or whatever. <laughs> uh, we, we get onto these automatic responses. We disassociate. When I get broke down, I disassociated in order to stay safe. The person driving me around was a drunk, right? And their vehicle was falling apart because it was also, uh, uh, you know, they were in poverty, Right. But they their friends and family, a lot of their family lives in this small town and they were just crying for the Well, not literally, but they care about their family and friends, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to solve it because they don't have the mental bandwidth free to do it. Right. And I think the only reason I have mental bandwidth is because people, society is taking care of me. Right. But there's a lot of people falling through the crack. It's not safe. Uh, Just a a quick thought on that. Um, it's, it's a weird analogy to bring up now, but what comes to mind is the game shoots and ladders. And because you're always trying to climb and you're trying to move throughout the board and improve things and improve your life, and then you have a setback. And I understand that with certain with actions are repercussions, but what happens is sometimes those repercussions 
with a society that's built like ours, people slide down and they literally fall off the board. <laughs> like there's no, there's no floor. There's no starting point to be able to like, you know what? I screwed up. I need to learn. And, and I have a society that values me at an inherent level, uh, to an inherent level of dignity and a basic level of understanding and trust. And I will rebuild from that. When you have no foundation to rebuild from, when you have no ability to take the, uh, to get the help that you would need to help yourself be able to get back up in the first place, then you have these, these really, really tragic situations because it is no one person's ability to drag up by their bootstraps. As I think Conrad Shaw, I think you've had on this program before, a good friend of mine, you know, bootstraps, pulling up by your bootstraps is an impossibility. It doesn't exist. It's a phrase, turn a phrase that means you can't, you can't physically do it. Like it really does take a society. It takes structures and, and resources into making sure that our most vulnerable, that our most basic level of, of ability is, is secure. And from that, you can make mistakes and learn and grow from them. But when you slide off the board, when you have no foundation to rebuild from, there is no, there is a extraordinary circumstances for you to get back. And more often than not, um, you have situations like this that are just tragic in every, every direction, every which way. And that's what we're all trying to fight for. Thank you so much, Larry. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, personally, I thought your analogy was spot on. Um, <laughs> did not think it was out of place at all. Um, and I think that, yeah, that, that's a big problem. Um, you know, humanity, you know, especially in America, um, we're all kind of like pitted against each other as competitors when we're actually part of a collective whole that, you know, people have forgotten or <laughs> just don't get that um, what affects your neighbor also affects you because you are part of that collective whole. And um, we really need to get back to actually caring for humanity if we're all going to survive at all. Absolutely. Well said. I find it amazing. Like, like our, our schooling system, it's like everybody gets this education, you know? So what, what's more important? Like everybody says that education is important. Well, isn't survival important too? Don't, don't you, don't you think when people are done with the education that they get, or even if they can't get like, they want like survive. I think UBI is even more important than school. Because if you're not educated, at least you have a you have a chance of getting educated. But if you're not financially solvent and you just drop off the board like that, that's more barbaric than you depriving people of education is depriving them of survival. So thank you all for um, especially Larry for um, your great analogy and uh, for building that website, build the floor. Uh, if we uh, hope more people will go and check it out and get involved with uh, Larry and uh, the good work that he's doing. Um, I, I hope that what we can remember from Juanito's uh, situation specifically is to actually re, re is to take his motto and, and rework it, you know, instead of saying it's okay to not be okay. Uh, which was his thing. That's very personal. Let's say it's okay um, for us to make sure everybody, everyone is okay, right? It's okay because that's something that people don't realize. Uh, we can make that society. We can make a society where everyone is all right. And that, and there, that we don't have to be stressed out about the possibility of just falling through. Uh, I don't think people really realize that that is a possibility. The better future is there that we can just seize it if we would just be willing to cooperate and do it. So um, I hope people will realize that. Um, I want to say hi to our friend Joshua Eastlick, who has joined us. Do you want to say hi, Josh? Hey, how's it going, guys? 
Hi, we, we were just uh, talking about something super sad that happened. And in fact, um, Ariel, did you say that the comment came from TFY Pack? Trumpers uh, for Yang in the past? Uh, no. no, 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 no. T4Y. That's oh, uh, Trumper for Yang. Oh, Trumper yeah. for Yang. Okay. Because uh, th- that was the other really awful sad news that I just got today was that um, we all know Fred Ramey. He was also a very important person to our movement, uh, a very visible one. And he is um, the Truckers for UBI um, uh, sort of face of it all. And he uh, posted today that he had lost his mother. And so we would like to um, just, you know, also give our condolences uh, from the podcast and also give people a chance to, you know, process these things together. The thing is, what he said was he had lost his mother, but what was really uh, hurting right now is that without this UBI, uh, without the UBI, his father now has to maybe move away from his home, you know, and so there isn't even time to grieve or to process, you know, the the losing of a loved one when your income without this person's additional income. Now you also have to uh, completely change your, your uh, life, your living circumstances after such a tragedy. So, yeah. That, that was oh, something I had pointed out before for caregivers is they're taking care of somebody. And when that person passes, you don't have a minute to even think, and it happened to my mother, a minute to think about what's happened. You have to immediately think of, oh, I got to make myself financially solvent or sell the home or yeah. downsize. It, there's so much stress that gets in the way of good decision making let's think what what is the opportunity cost of that good decision making that humanity as a whole is losing when people are when when all this stress is unnecessary when when it when it can just be alleviated like i i really don't see the point it's like let let let's say you know you know like einstein would have never like contributed to the world in the scientific way that he did have if he never got out of that patent office but he, he was he was only in that patent office until somebody saw his genius and picked him up. He always had that genius, whether he was working at that patent office or if he wasn't working at that patent office. But some a lot of people have that genius. A lot of people have that like special skill as Kai was talking about, that that kind of like artisan thing that they want to do, but they have to worry that if I break off and I go pursue what I love and what I want to contribute to humanity. Am I going to find myself dead on the side of the road? And that is not a civilization. That's barbarianism. That, that, is, that, that, that is uncivilized for a society to think that that's just okay. And we have this social contract that, you know, it's, it's all stupid. It's like we, it, it's, it's, it's a virus. It's a mind virus. That 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 makes people think that 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 people like that that this is okay to just leave people behind just because that they want to pursue the thing that they love, but that that opportunity cost that comes with the stress that people are losing, like that really has to be looked at in like a study. <laughs> the Yang Gang in general needs to be studied. 
When Yang dropped out, he actually activated a lot of people to create their own platforms, their own way forward, manifesting his ideas into this reality. And we have leaders coming out of the works just left and right now, you know, but also we, we have experienced a lot of drama within it, right? I mean, this is a, a, a grassroots effort, right? Uh, with people in poverty and people not in poverty, even well-off people, right? We get the whole spectrum of people from all over the United States and all over the world, right? We're not the only country doing this thing. And, and it is a beautiful movement of coming together. And like that in its own is something that should be documented. And it has been. We have people doing a lot of podcasts. We have a lot of people, um, you know, going out of their way, taking time to phone bank, knock on doors, you know. And, um, like, I knew nothing about politics until Yang came around, right? So imagine, like, what one person inspiring could do. And then, then all the people who just got inspired, who they can inspire, and it's just this beautiful effect, right? And it's spanning the globe. And I think it's only going to grow in momentum. But I think a lot of people are, um, you know, suffering. Yeah, Yang, um, I think he's definitely, you know, a revolutionary. And um, he changed <laughs> changed our society. Um, and he really brought UBI to the forefront, um, you know, at, at, to the table, which I will eternally be grateful to him for doing. Um, and it's it feels so much closer now, um, especially in light of COVID happening. Um, it, it opened a lot of people's eyes to how incredibly fragile our system actually is. Um, and a lot more people are waking up. And I know that Yang, is, you know, he put his foot on the ground and he did that for us. Right. And, and I love how you have been an well, advocate think- for like 13 years already and Scott Santon's for at least as long. And, uh, and we've got Kai here who has also thought about it for for a long time but and and larry and um, everybody UBI, who has been here before yang showed up um ubi ubi was put on the green party uh platform in like 2002 and it's really interesting that when i was in washington dc in april of 19 got to see yang there um when i was at that rally i met steve Sharferman who was one of the original authors of that part of the Green Party platform. And so we had a very short but very illuminating conversation for me. That's I so was like, cool. what are you yeah. doing here? Yeah. And he was like, good luck with the I'm, Green Party. It's not going to go I'm, anywhere. This is your guy. Well, I love I'm, your... I'm, uh, uh, I love your his uh, bringing that history to us because this year we actually got it added to the Democratic Party's... Uh, uh, I think we finally got it added we to had, the Democratic uh, Party's platform, oh. and we started that process wow. starting in the state level and or the nice. Senate level, actually here in um, here in Texas and in other places as well. And it kind of slowly just you know went up to national. I think it's actually done. So and we had a uh, Howie Hawkins on here too. So that that was that was something. I really think in the next like twenty years, when we finally do pass UBI, I hope it's earlier than that because we can't even afford to wait another two years, let alone like twenty or what have you. Like, but like the 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 the, the generation, whatever comes after Generation Z. And whatever generation is born when UBI goes into effect, it's probably going to look at the past like I look at medieval Europe, 
like I look at the Spanish Inquisition, like I look at like all these like terrible uh, kind of like generations throughout humanity and, uh, and like Emperor Nero and like when Rome was burning and stuff like that. I think it's the same way that the post UBI generations are going to look at a non UBI society and be like, wow, it was a good thing I wasn't born you know, during that right. time. That was so barbaric back then. <laughs> right, exactly. Like people right. would just eat yeah. each other for lunch. Like the Salem witch trials and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like we, so we this, look like, like you know, you're not where, a witch is that, you know. Yeah. This is where I think the secret becomes, we like, the, we've lost the tools to accumulate wealth, except for, well, we kind of haven't in the, in the sense that with, with super packs in, specifically super PACs, you can kind of do whatever you want. And so this would, this is, uh, you know, kind of what I thought Andrew Yang was aiming for with humanity forward was actually like turning the machine kind of against the establishment by funding as many UBIs as possible with the mechanism that they've left us to have any kind of wealth for the people to use. Um, is to is to do this like weird dark money thing, and this is where I'm like, I don't care. It's our money. I don't like. So if that's how I can collect the thing that we need to make people better, let's do that. What's the, what's the problem? So and and so we've got Larry here. My question for you is, what is the problem? Why aren't more people just opening their own packs and then raising an inordinate amount of monies, whether or not they're running campaigns? Why, why is that not a thing? Is it hard? First of all, yes, it's, it's definitely not an easy process. It's not an intuitive process. Uh, we did have lawyers that we had to find, and it is like starting a startup, right? It's, it's really going out. There isn't a whole lot of resources. There's a little bit here and there, but it is kind of trial by fire. You're also dealing with uh, different government organizations. You want to make sure you don't do things incorrectly. And that was something we were very cognizant of during every step of the way. Uh, It's... It is funny because I think when Super PACs first started, you had Stephen Colbert talking about how he started a Super PAC and he would comment on it on late night shows, you know, daily for a couple of years. But it, in order to really generate the kind of uh, momentum behind it, it it isn't just you just open it up and it, and it just sort of magically brings in cash. I mean, that would be nice, but sure. it, it it definitely takes a lot of energy and effort. And we went seven, multiple months, many months, where it was us self-funding the whole thing. We didn't raise, we raised like $10 here and $5 there and every dollar mattered, but it it is really tough. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but it is, it definitely has opportunities to, to make impact. And I know there are other super PACs that were able to make an impact as well, uh, as well as ours. And I feel like we really did. So that's not to say to dissuade you, but it's to understand what that journey might look like. And I'm sure we can talk more offline about all the different aspects of it, but like, you know, it's, it's definitely an Avenue. It's also an Avenue that we were criticized for quite heavily, uh, especially at the beginning. Uh, you know, I didn't raise my hand when I said cancel culture, but I forgot that, you know, we through every step of the way of forming the pack when we tried to explain it as a grassroots super pack, a pack that was run by and helped decision made decisions were made by 
supporters, right? It wasn't like we were in our ivory towers deciding what we were going to do. We reached out constantly to the community and we tried to implement as many ideas as we could. Some worked, some didn't. Uh, you know, Yang Week and Yang Month was not our own in- idea. That was provided by the community. Some incredible uh, entrepreneurial thinkers were just like, what if we did, you know, put this thing together and what would that look like and how could that change the conversation? And and so that we tried to do things differently, but we were, you know, I noticed the comments on Reddit. I noticed the comments on social media uh, all the way up until uh, when Andrew formed Humanity Forward. And they're like, well, what is Humanity Forward Fund doing around? Like, they don't need to exist anymore. You know, why do they have the same name? <laughs> like, no matter yeah, what it they was. They just took their name. Just right, like, well, boom. There will, there will <laughs> we always, like that name. We're taking it. Well, there will always be people who will think what you're doing is wrong. And I, I for, you know, I've been fortunate enough to live at my point up to my life where I hadn't felt like I'd pissed too many people off with the decisions I had made. But I really got to see up, for, up front that if you really try to make an impact, there will be people who disagree with you, uh, some more loudly than others. Uh, and it's where you can find your moral compass and where you can, can find support systems and your own faith in the work that you're doing to the best of your ability to admit when you've made mistakes, as I know we did along the way, but to learn from them and grow from them and understand that not everyone will agree with you and to try and make the best decisions you can. So like that's that's the the hope that I can impart on anyone starting a journey like that because it's it's not easy. It may not work. Uh, it may not fly the way you want it to. It may not happen as fast or as quick as you would like. But the journey, if you have that that focus and that uh, that drive, and and things in some way come out in some sort of luck. You know, luck was a huge part of it. Our first major funder was uh, someone who found us on Twitter who saw it randomly, uh, and it was total total random stance. Uh, so a lot of factors have to go right, but the journey was an interesting educational journey and I wouldn't have wanted it pretty highly much. Highly recommended, huh? <laughs> I don't know about highly recommended. It definitely <laughs> was a roller coaster and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it, it, it definitely was an experience I treasure, but it was incredibly difficult and incredibly exhausting. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not worth trying. So I have a question for you. Um, so uh, Josh is actually working with me on starting this nonprofit amongst other people, right? Um, and uh, so we want to do the UBI pilot, uh, you know, by raising our own stuff. And uh, he's actually part of a tribe, right, who actually receives um, per capitas, um, you know, and they they were able to get away from food scarcity during this pandemic. They also stopped rental rent payments, right? They're just like, let's just not do that right now, right? And so nobody's going homeless, at least. Um, and, and so, like, his tribe has these beautiful strategies um, for these things. And I have a bunch of ideas and strategies, too. Do you think it is um, possible or logical or whatever to combine with super PACs uh, such as what you guys made or um, like, I don't know, how, how can I learn from your experience, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Well, I guess, I mean, there's conversations that we can have that I could share with you the process that we went through to figure things out um, in terms of what we can talk about right now, I guess. It really is important to figure out the kinds of work you're going to be doing to see what is already out there and what may already have some structure behind it. I think there's something, and again, this serves, it speaks to the entrepreneurial spirit, but also the, I want to say individual spirit, but the the drive within a lot of individuals in the Yang Gang that there are a lot of, dare I say, duplicate efforts 
where people consider, and it's, and it's hard, right? Because everyone, when they're so passionate and so driven with a vision, it's hard to then see someone else do it and say, like, well, how about we find ways to combine forces or find ways to work together so that we can find a vision that works for both of us. And so we can work and shrink the amount of work we're doing or, you know, prevent duplicating efforts. I get it. It's really difficult. Are you guys able to do that? Wait, say that again? Were you guys able to combine efforts with other people who started creating their own paths? So we didn't work with any other uh, super PACs directly. Um, what we did do was when we had people reach out to us with ideas um, that said that all they needed was funding, what we really worked with them was fleshing out the idea, was really breaking down the 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 logistics and the operations. I mean, I come from a logistics operations background, which is funny enough, but uh, it's it's really understanding what kind of effort it will take to get off the ground, the particular projects and understanding it. And then it's an understanding of where the, who is ultimately responsible for the project and what does success look like? You kind of view it as a small business startup, right? You, you have met metrics, you have a, a game plan, you have an understanding of the operations and steps to get there. And then you have check-ins about execution along the way. And so with some ideas, we sort of took over the idea because I said, here's like a three sentence idea. Go for it. We, I want to see this exist. And others were like, I am willing to jump in and get dirty figuring out how to do this. Please empower me to figure out how to do this. And again, like yeah. nine out of the 10 ideas that we tried didn't work. Uh, whether it was it just wasn't able to get off the ground, it wasn't able to get enough attention. Uh, we had to shift to other focuses, and then every so often we'll get something like uh, the just creating uh, literature for people, right? Like creating the brochures that were used in Iowa, like uh, camp, just anything for education purposes. Or Yang Week and Yang Month was an idea. Like that started at the very beginning, and then it just grew and grew and grew and pulled people in. Um, so we, we had to let go of other projects we were working on to really focus on that one. So like, it's a real, it is like a startup. It's honestly as much as a startup as I can, uh, as I can think of, uh, in terms of building and trying to be successful just with slightly different metrics. Well, if you, yeah. if you hadn't uh, disbanded your, uh, your pack and you had continued forward, right. Uh, then would it still continue being a startup? You know, if you had kept it f for the next five, 10 years. Uh, because there are some that continue and don't uh, disband. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for us, I mean, with everything going on in the world at that time, especially with Humanity Forward uh, under Andrew's uh, leadership and starting that nonprofit up, uh, we felt that it was the time to to transition. But if we had wanted, I mean, there were ideas about how we might transition into a world where that existed and other needs were still there and focus on areas that maybe Humanity Forward wasn't going to focus on. So there were conversations about figuring that out, but between the pandemic and literally everything else going on in the world, it made sense at that time for us. But for others that are still trying to do the work, I feel like there is, especially this will be interesting with, with Andrew running for mayor, what that does to the focus of Humanity Forward. I feel like he'll probably almost turn it over into to good hands to help continue running the work that they're doing. But there are definitely areas in which I think everyone here and others out there are identifying as spaces to work into. Uh, the real challenge is, is because you're not really selling a product, you're selling a, a demonstration of the work you're putting out there to raise money in an uncertain time uh, is definitely the hardest part. You know, to be able to continue working, you have to continue convincing people of the efficacy and the impact of your work and to tell a compelling story around it. That is the critical focus that you are trying to do with what you're working on. 
to, to have each dollar come in and, and help pay for that and to make that impact continue to grow. So it's, it's difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I think there are areas, some of which you're identifying, and I'm sure there are more out there that are, would be good opportunities for spaces for us and the Yang gang and, and other groups to really focus on trying to address. I think uh, that I, uh, the, uh, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, of course. And so when Andrew Yang said, man, this is the uh, name we want. This is the, the, the exact focus that we want to take right now. And we just want to take over this particular type of operation. Um, and it was came as a little bit of a shock for, for the rest of us who really understood what you were doing, um, was pretty much what the space he wanted to go into. Uh, I feel that. It's a testament to your success and, and all the things that you were able to bring to his campaign time for us, the grassroots, because that was part of how I got canceled. It was the fact that I actually understood a little bit about super PACs. I was t- speaking to Dr. Quintus Jett, and so he was explaining how the how uh, the super PAC, um, you know, really supports candidates and supports all of these grassroots people to well, do things when we don't have any well, money. Well, right. Yeah. And so the transfer of money from one group, the wealthy, towards the towards the poor can happen with the facilitation of the super PACs. Right. And, uh, and that was not careful. well understood, especially right. in the Democratic and progressive and liberal circles, who were all about, let's get uh, rid of super PACs altogether now that we have these terrible legislations, right. you know, that allow super wealthy people to also participate in super PACs. But yeah. um, for, for your super PAC, you had spent so much time making sure that, uh, you know, you were doing it in an honest and open and um, like, what do you call it? Like, so everybody can see into the inner workings of your super PAC. Transparency. Yeah. Thank you. And, and all these um, um, uh, are artificial divisions, like really, really hurt everything. I mean, because like if they is like if we're trying to figure out how these people operate, that's a smart thing to do. That's like the best strategy in war is to like know what your enemy is trying to cook up or, or we're trying to do. But then it's like, you're trying to figure out what your enemy is doing in the other side. And you got people on your own team. Like we're going to start a war with you now. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? That is so dumb. But like, yeah. I, yeah. And- so that's the thing is uh, when this was happening within our group, I spent a lot of time, you know, explaining to people over and over and over again, you know, what is a super PAC, right? How does this work? If you need money to do something that you, uh, some project that you think would contribute to the efforts, but you don't have enough to fund it, you know, how do we deal with that? And then it ended up that Fred Ramey had to start his own super PAC in order to do some of the things he wanted to do because the way that he had fundraised originally was not even was not fully legal. He gave right. all the money back and started that all over again. Right. And you know, so a lot of the things that um, that happened was really us doing that uh, learning curve, that steep learning curve into how does politics actually work. And like Karen said, how is that sausage made? And we now have um, several people in our podcast. I know that really want to get more information from you and would love to probably speak with you. You know, on uh, on. At later times, uh, because sure. the podcast is going to be uh, over soon. But uh, if we if we have, uh, we also have uh, Jeremy Sammons, who is wanting to start a super PAC and actually has already started. So he's already gotten the super PAC created and now is working on the next stage. Um, and what he wants to do is support more people like Dan, 
do you remember Dan Larson from Montana who ran as a Republican on the platform of UBI? Yeah, I feel like it rings a bell. Yeah. Okay. So Daniel Larson was, um, so he wanted to see more, you know, conservatives run on the same uh, sort of UBI platforms that we've had many Democrats run on. And so mm-hmm. his pack is going to be specifically focused on that. And um, I know that he would probably just enjoy speaking to somebody who's actually done, you know, some of these things and, um, you know, get more information from you. Yeah, so, no, I'd be happy to would speak. Would it be okay for, yeah, I'd love to connect you guys later. Sure. Okay. So, um, oh. Go ahead. Okay. I wanted to actually ask Jessica um, some uh, you, you talk about getting away from money after UBI. Uh, I'm really curious to hear more about like what that vision looks like to you. Um, okay. Well, um, I mean, I'm of course a hater of the market system, um, and market economics. Uh, <laughs> and, and I do kind of see, see like a fundamental flaw in UBI to where, um, if we get a UBI and we're still working under that market economic system, then the UBI is going to fuel consumption, which is still, you know, it's still going to get funneled to the top. Um, there's still going to be that hierarchy um, of, you know, the kings of society, so to speak. And as long as those people, I think, are able to have that kind of power, um, you know, the rest of us are still going to be plebs. Um, we might be better off plebs, but we're, we're still going to be under that boot. Um, and so I, I think that to get to that whole like collective whole um, collaboration society, we do need to step away from market economics. Um, but like I said, UBI is an essential first step because we need you know specific technology in place to do that. Um, everything needs to become automated. Um, there needs to be some kind of system where we can um, figure out how much resources we have and what we can do with them. Um, because currently, you know, price is what does that. Um, price determines how much of something you have um, and how much of it, you know, there is to use. So if we can get away from that um, and figure out what people actually need, then we can better and more efficiently allocate those resources to everyone. Um, and, and there are a lot of ideas in Zeitgeist. Um, like there are, you know, of course, like the famous floating islands, you know, that have zero waste and, Everyone is, you know, living on these like floating little paradises in the ocean, um, which I absolutely adore. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's something that I love. Um, and I think is very, um, I don't know, kind of fantasy related. Um, that, but that we could actually get there, you know, in the future. Um, and our environment is so impacted by consumption. Um, it, it, we waste so much, and so if if we can do away with all the, you know, the little knickknacks, you know, like we go out and, you know, we make stuff and put in a dollar store so that people will have jobs, you know, (laughs) to make these things so that they can survive. Um, But we have an abundance of resources that we can definitely use more efficiently. Um, But I, but I also do think that it can't just be like one country doing, you know, switching to RBE. Um, it needs to be a whole global thing um, or, or it's not going to work. <laughs> um, so th- that's, that's pretty far down the road. I do know that. Um, but I would love to see more technology, um, AI, you know, robots, um, more and more and more and more, which UBI will, of course, naturally produce. Yes. Well, I'm not that to... with you, by the way, but go ahead, Faye. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, well, um, okay, so... I feel that you've made a statement which uh, is uh, 
kind of a, perhaps you see a little farther than I do. Perhaps you're more of a visionary than I am. But I feel that it's a statement that we don't 100% know if it will be true. The fact that UBI would fuel consumerism. I think, personally, that UBI would actually dial us back. And the reason being, um, it could change our culture significantly in a different way if we if we also realign our values um, by, you know, getting away from the idea that GDP is something that's important, right? And so if we start looking at the correct types of measurements that tell us how we're doing and, re- and bring our culture back to focus in on that, I think that we could actually start caring about waste, uh, maybe, you know, buy less uh, little inexpensive things to, to that will break and are, ex- are expected to be, you know, uh, very temporary, um, you know, toys such as like the McDonald's toys or little things that, you know, we're always giving our kids so that they have a little tchotchke to play with um, or, you know, clothing that is just going to be broken within the year, you know. And uh, I think that a lot of these things may go away. Some of our wasteful things may go away when we have um, that base that you can't fall through and we're starting to change our culture. So I want to speak to this. So um, with the research that I've been doing uh, and just living my life as proof of concept of minimalism that's effective and you can still make fucking change even if you're broke, okay? I just want to be proof to anybody who thinks they have limitations. Of course, I did a lot of mental health. Um, uh, like, I mean, what happened was I was behind a van hiding for my life when there was a shooting at a bar, right? That woke me up and I was like, ooh, I really hate life. I'm going to learn how to deal with that, right? And then I did all the mental health things before even getting to where I am now, right? Um, And during that time, I had a a boyfriend who had a decent amount of money that, like, I didn't have to worry about my basic needs at the time, right? He helped take care of it. So I had the time to even work on my mental health, right? And I think that's a big component of... uh, changing society away from consumerism is also mental health, right? I don't think we can even take the time to work on our mental health if we have to work 10 to 12 hours a day just trying to survive, right? If you're lucky to get a job at all. Um, and and so my research, though, has been geared towards, um, you know, uh, a lot of um, alternative paths to meeting these needs. And I've been documenting it all, right? Um, And I've been learning how to teach it, right? Um, I've been learning the different uh, learning styles. I'm developing an education around it. I have a million advisors. Um, Also, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I just want to put the car together, okay? So, like, when, when Larry was saying, you know, you don't, don't do the same thing. These are the same kind of passions, but different projects, and they're weak, right, essentially. Um, everybody brings something different to the table, right? And, and so um, I've literally just been scouting the U.S. I've been scouting the Yang Gang. I've been getting into other social networks, including the movie industry, right? Um, and I've been uh, working with other countries. Like, you know, I have a friend who wants to start a nonprofit in Africa. And I was like, here's some laptops that have been given to me that I can send your way, but I had to get people to donate money so I could even send it to Kenya. Right. Like, uh, and, and so, um, and another person, uh, in, I want to say it was Africa. Uh, they were like, you know, we don't have clean water here. And I was like, okay, well, I just looked up this thing where there's bamboo and there's a filter thing. And, uh, like they get what 50 gallons of water from the air, 
right? So guess what? I'm really good with Google and YouTube and, and they might not have the mental bandwidth to spend on learning these things, but I bet you they got a couple minutes to watch that video. And I'm like, okay, well, here's a video on how to do clippings of bamboo. Can you get clippings of bamboo, right? And like, and just providing the steps through education to have a different person in their own area be the new leader of their area. You know, and they're like, well, people, people would want to get paid. I'm like, okay, but what can you do with your energy, right? Because all it is is resourcefulness. It's also being like brave enough to talk to your neighbor and be like, hey, I need help, <laughs> right? Um, I found a lot of people donate their time, you know, and if you're doing something good, guess what? It comes a lot easier. Um, so these are things like I, I want to help push when the nonprofit is formed, right? I really don't trust our government. I think our entire system is bought and paid for. I'm just over it. I'm not even going to rely on the government. If you guys want to still waste time, you know, trying to push things, and maybe it's not waste, right? Maybe we'll finally fix things. But I would rather build something and make our government look bad and then they have to raise the bar because they've just been shown up, right? Like, I don't care. It needs to be done and you're, you have all this money and you're not doing your job, right? But if I can do it with no money, yeah. that makes you look yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, actually, I, I want to touch on that because, um, like I said, you know, my family is six and I, we, you know, we were homeless. Um, we were living nomadically, um, traveling around, um, you know, Arizona, living in forests, you know, in tents. Um, and the only possessions we had were, you know, what we could fit into the back of our truck. Um, you know, in our, you know, in our family of six and a 65 pound dog. Um, <laughs> and that's how we were traveling. And, but, and we were living so minimally um, and, and we were just exploring, you know, we went more places with our kids while we were homeless than we ha ever have. Um, and, and that was actually a time where that was the only time in my life I actually felt free, um, was living like that. And so, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and when we got back into housing, um, I did go through a deep depression, um, which was strange because I thought, well, I have a hard roof again. You know, why am I depressed? This isn't right. <laughs> no, this isn't what society tells you is supposed to happen. Um, but, and, and, you know, we were going back to the wage slave thing, um, you know, and doing that. And, and I did actually, I, I got like suicidal um, and I got incredibly depressed and I actually just said, you know what, we were living outside with nothing, um, you know, and barely any money. Like, what am I even trying to do? And I quit my job. Um, <laughs> you know, my husband is disabled. Um, he was home with the kids. I quit my job and I said, I'm done. You know, I'm just going to pick up writing assignments and we're going to live the bare minimum. And and that's what I want for people to realize is that they can do that with basic income. You know, once if we get basic income, they can do it. They can live on the bare minimum. Um, you know, they can they can survive. And that's something I'm definitely going to be trying to push with people is that you can do this. You can have a fulfilling life and, you know, live on your basic and have a, a fantastic time doing that. Um, and that will naturally, like you said, you know, transition us maybe, yeah, back the other direction from consumerism, which is my hope, you know, and I, and I have no idea what's going to happen, but that's always my hope is that it will pull us back. Um, but yeah, just the hierarchy of our society, I don't see changing unless we don't have money anymore. I just want to point out, I think we are nomadic by nature genetically, and we don't have a society that has actually made that even possible. And that is a huge overlook that we need to incorporate. Yeah. Uh, we, have, 
We were born to forage and hunt uh, and gather. Uh, refluence. <laughs> so uh, he, he was one of our YouTube commenters, and Shale gave him a link to come on. So welcome on the show. Hi, Refluence. Hey. I'm Uh-oh. sorry, but we can't hear you, you well. And also, I wanted to... I wanted to say hi to you and let give you a chance to, to speak a little bit, but also uh, we are almost at the end of our time together, so we're going to need to do our yeah. closing very soon. You are welcome right. to come back and uh, and and uh, and continue podcasting with us another day, so that you can have more time to actually interact with everyone. Are you ready? Do you want to turn your mic on? Hello. Hi. Uh, Who are you? Yeah. Hello. Yes, hey. um, my my name is Jebrilota. I was. Uh, on the Humanity Speaks um, with Andrew Yang like a month back, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, thank so? you for having me. And um, yeah, I, I I made a gaming page called uh, Gaming for Humanity, and it, it, it brings like meditation and like very intentful practices, kind of like breathing, like focus. So if you guys want to check it out, it's on Facebook, Instagram, that. Sorry if it didn't want to plug, but <laughs> no, yeah. please go ahead. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you're you're here at the yeah. plugging stage. Actually, this is what right. we yeah. Is the, at the end so we let everyone know how to reco- how to mm-hmm. reconnect to or actually connect to for the first time if you you're just meeting someone here. Um, yeah, we we, yeah, we let everybody a, uh, know. Yeah, I see familiar faces. So it's pretty oh, cool. very nice. Cool. Yeah. So That's yeah, cool. plug away. Tell us more about this gaming for. Uh, did you humanity. say game yeah. for humanity? Yeah. Is it video gaming? Is it like apps um, and video gaming or can it be other types of gaming or? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's broad spectrum. So I didn't specifically put like video gaming, but it's uh, more like, uh, like, like I said, focus, like getting into the zone more. Like, you know how um, uh, athletes, they get into the zone, like in boxing, basketball, like football, like, they, they all play a sort of, like, mindset. And, uh, and, like, for example, for me, when I play Overwatch, like, it's a game on Xbox. Um, like, I, I, I go into a state of flow, and I, I want to help others reach that game? flow. I'm sorry? Uh, Ariel, was that sorry? <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, no. It was, it was just, like, a reflection of uh, Faye's uh, voice. I think she was, oh, she yeah, was yeah, talking yeah. about like yeah yeah what games you were you were playing uh, or well, yeah, yeah like like Fortnite I mean that's a giveaway but <laughs> Fortnite uh, Overwatch League of Legends like I want to bring like the meditative state of mind and like like a clear focus like on winning so it it, it brings into the lifestyle aspect like like that's why I named it humanity for for gaming for humanity because a lot of the things that you bring to games can affect you in real life. So yeah, that's the gist of it. So you want to, you want to use this uh, game mentality to help people focus on real life things also, or just, yeah. uh, Yeah. It it also uh, reflects on the, on real life also. So, so if you're doing like a clear mindset in real life, it also affects your game because like, say for example, you're in a forest and then, like in a video game, and you're like collecting things, and but you get lost, but you have to find their way back. So you like for me, like when I travel through a forest, I'm always uh, it's kind of like a maze, like it's like Pac-Man, or <laughs> so a lot of the mindset comes into play like that. 
if that makes sense. So it's like philosophy. It's like uh, combining yeah, yeah. philosophy and uh, and meditative practice in a sense. Nice, exactly. because I, I just I just join up with uh, Leyline. I don't know if you know who they are, but like they're trying to like use gaming to like change the world and like. Uh, right, uh, right, make like, money and like bring people together and for positive causes. So yeah, right. Have so you ever people, heard of? Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, speed running or games done quick. Um, a lot of uh, like speed running mindset is uh, also affects that kind of mindset. Are you guys gonna um, both of you? Are you gonna drop your gaming links? I'm a hardcore gamer, so I'm like really interested. Oh yes, <laughs> I'll put it in the chat. Yeah. Uh, also, can you speak it? Because uh, besides the chat, um, which uh, our listeners on uh, Spotify cannot hear, can, will need you to actually say it. So, can you actually spell it for everyone, or what? Uh, how do people find uh, yes. out more? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I haven't been streaming lately, but my stream is um, Twitch.tv/refluence. Um, that's like Refluence is like my gaming name, and if you want to learn more about my my name. Like that's that's I came up that like in 2013 <laughs> refluence. So so like influence, but with R E at the beginning. Refluence. Yes, yes, exactly like that. <laughs> okay, well, uh, now that you found our Discord and have a way to get in, uh, what we do is on every Thursday, uh, Shale Riley, who is our um, main producer, he often will put uh, the uh, the schedule of what's upcoming on the weekend because we podcast Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And um, on these, these are the days when we will have sometimes uh, speakers scheduled and sometimes uh, just, you know, a group of us come together to talk in these open discussions at the roundtable. So check the schedule by Thursday. It will be up and uh, you can see if you're interested in joining us for any of the future podcasts. Okay, it'll be just like this. Yeah, so it's so spontaneous. So. <laughs> very nice. Um, yeah. Larry, do you want to go first uh, in terms of uh, how do people connect with you? What would you like people to hear about? And uh, go ahead. Yeah, if there's uh, people out there who'd like to connect with me, my email is Larry at buildthefloor.org. Uh, you can also reach me through the website buildthefloor.org. Uh, I've been volunteering with Income Movement. So if you're out there and you're looking looking for ways to help out as well, Income Movement's doing an incredible job with finding things to do and activate and organize. So definitely check them out as well. Uh, I'd just say thanks to everyone here who are helping just bring more enlightening information education to both me and everyone out there about their experience and how, how the world is going and why we need UBI and for continuing to fight for this. Uh, I feel like it's... It's really an honor to meet so many uh, passionate people who seem to have either been activated or brought to a new level of action that they made and even know that they were capable of. I know I wasn't considering myself capable of some of the things that with the support of the Yang Gang uh, we're able to accomplish. And I'm excited to see what we can all continue to do from here. That's so awesome. Thank you. How about you, Jessica? Would you like to uh, let people know how to connect with you and read more of uh, about what you've been doing? Uh, sure. Um, okay. Well, I'm on Twitter um, at, you know, at Canada Vibes. Um, you can also search Jessica Canada um, on Facebook too, Instagram. Um, I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Canada Vibes. Um, you don't have to be a patron to view any of my articles. They're all on there for free. So um, yeah, that's it. Um, and I also, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, we're all familiar with you, but our friends on the uh, over the airwaves may not actually know that your name is spelled C A N A D A Y, and then V I B E S vibes, Canada vibes. Yep, 
Um, and yeah, I just want to you know say thank you to all of you um, for the work that you guys do and continue to do. Um, I feel like we're all you know peaceful soldiers in this together, <laughs> and um, there's definitely a feeling of camaraderie, and it, it's awesome. And I love this community, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you for coming on the show today, along with uh, sharing your time with uh, Larry and um, all of the. Uh, um, I'm sorry to have uh, you know. Hopefully, I wasn't too uh, presumptuous in asking you to speak um, about something that was emotional, uh, so emotionally uh, draining. Um, and we hope to see you again if you can come back. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, shall we? Okay. I'm Faye Koo. Um, I'm at Palestine Math because I live in Palestine, Texas. P-A-L-E-S-T-I-N-E-M-A-T-H for Make America Think Harder. And we are um, hoping to um, get more eyeballs right now and more national uh, recognition of what is happening with Fasting for Humanity group, part of Yang Gang. We have um, at, uh, on Twitter would be at Vigerant Viz is sort of one of the leaders in that group that has actually been fasting for about 16 to 17 days. Thank you, Zephyr, for covering me up. Um, and you would find her at VIS. U R A N T V I Z. I feel that time is of the essence right now. It's very critical to get them, uh, you know, as much um, as much visibility as possible while the fast is happening. And so we've scheduled a thing for them on Yang Game Report Live, and that is completed. And hopefully, she'll have time again to join us this coming weekend. So um, let's see. Can we go to uh, Karen? Are you ready? Hi, my name is Karen Patrick. My podcast is on hiatus, moving to a new platform. And I want to point out a resource to people that, that I played to early on, which is the Basic Income Earth Network at basicincome.org, because you also get the international basic income movement in there and find out what's going on in other countries, which might actually be progressing quite a bit faster than what's happening in the United States. So I hope people check it out. Uh, it's a great resource to learn about the basic income as a you know what it is structurally so i hope people check that out and glad to be here guys thank you for bringing that up there and i've been able to meet a, a number of them who are part of that network and they are incredible folks who've been working on ubi advocacy for decades um from those uh, who are in the u.s to around the world and they're an incredible group of people it's exactly b-i-e-n correct b-i-e-n yeah it's well if you just go to basicincome.org that's might be a little easier to remember okay very good um, how about Faye Doni? Are you ready? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Um, so my Twitch, Twitter, and TikTok are Tisdoni, T-I-S-D-O-N-E-Y. Um, my TikTok is kind of like the commercial into my life. My um, Twitch is kind of like my only available for two weeks uh, episodes, right? Because I feel like Every every week, I evolve to a different, better version of myself, so I don't need to keep the older versions of me. But if you really like what I have to say, everything about my life is open source. If you see content that I'm a part of, steal it, share it, edit it, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I, I need to be as transparent as I can about what I'm doing because I think it can actually uh, do more inspirational work, <laughs> right? Um, you know, uh, but that way you can follow me. Uh, if there's things you think you can help me out with, you know, just reach out to me. I like being on Twitter for that kind of messaging. Um, and you know, uh, my PayPal is pulling a Dony. My Venmo is art by Dony and my cash app is dollar sign Faye Dony. 
um, F-A-Y-E-D-O-N-E-Y. And, um, you know, just, I, I'm trying to just get as many people onboarded as I possibly can, um, including I've got some people uh, doing some editing work for me on some of the content I'm providing. I'm also trying to make a documentary uh, series right now, and I finally have understanding of how I want to pull that off. Um, you know, and if, if you think you have leads for me to get a UBI pilot started in Fort Deposit, Alabama, that'd be really helpful. Um, so I don't know. Good things are coming. I'm trying not to get too stressed out. I'm still trying to, you know, make sure my basic needs are taken care of. Um, so yeah, come check me out. All right. Very good. Um, uh, okay. I forgot Ariel. Ariel, you're next. <laughs> yeah, so um, my name's Ariel. You can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash revolutionary thinking. And uh, yeah, I got some revolutionary videos there. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Ariel's Ariels. That's A R I E L S. A-E-R-I-A-L-S. Uh, I also have like droning as a hobby. So uh, yeah. That's me. Uh, how about you, Kai? So I'm uh, at Kaizen KC. So that's at K-A-I-Z-E-N-K-C. And I am a UBI advocate based out of Kansas City, Missouri, formerly an organizer with the State Green Party. And um, I'm a mom and a very religious person who feels very led for equality and this is the way forward all right and uh last so, but certainly not least our our producer shale yeah i want to interject for just like two seconds shout out to michelle mccoy who literally just sent me 50 dollars. so thank you oh thank you so much michelle wow really appreciate that thank you yeah. Thank okay. You. Now you can go. Just wanted to do uh, a shout out. Great show, guys. Uh, really nice to see some new people here. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again, or talking with you again, or really listening to you guys, because you know I kind of fade into the background sometimes when there's other people, which is great because you know I'm here for every one of these. Anyway, uh, thank you well, again. That's the thing. <laughs> Shale uh, is is the unsung hero that is always. Um, he spends a lot of time after each podcast making sure that our sound is good before we go on uh, the, the actual podcast um, platform, Spotify and Anchor.fm. So um, if you are a fan of the podcast um, and actually getting good sound rather than watching the live stream while we're like basically <laughs> punk rocking this whole thing, <laughs> um, that's because Shale does a great job with that. So it's a lot of time and we appreciate you so much, uh, Shale. Thank you. Well, thank you, Faye. I appreciate that. Um well, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll be back next weekend with more Basecape Combat. We can see if you want to contact me personally. My Twitter is my name, Shale Riley, S-H-A-E-L-R-I-L-E-Y, Shale Riley. That's my Twitter. Thank you so much, and uh, we will see you again next time. 